Well, hey everyone, Pastor Stephen here, and I want to thank you for checking out this message from Journey Church. I hope that it encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus than ever before. If you are joining us today online or through the live stream, we are so excited that you are with us. However, we are not meant to do life alone, so don't let online media be a substitute for an actual community of faith and fellowship. God created us to do life with one another so that we can grow together on life's journey. We hope that you enjoy this message from God's Word. When I was growing up, occasionally we would have power outages. Usually it was due to an electrical storm, a thunderstorm. And so my dad would stumble his way around the house looking for a flashlight. Cell phones hadn't been invented yet. We couldn't just turn that on. And inevitably, when he found the flashlight, the batteries were dead, which resulted in a lot of yelling and saying things that I won't repeat this morning. As human beings, we rely on a lot of different sources of power. We have gasoline and diesel engines in our vehicles. We have natural gas, electricity, or propane in our homes. Our cell phones have batteries. This morning, I want to talk about one aspect of God's power one that will help us to be the church. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, Paul wrote these words. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning as we look at some aspects of your power, I pray that you would help us to be the church. Lord, this world desperately needs to see the love and the redeeming power of Jesus Christ. I pray this morning that we would be encouraged to do that. And I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. In this passage, Paul begins by saying, For this reason... The reason was that they were believers in Jesus Christ. And Paul is praying for these Ephesians. In the years that I've been in ministry, I've had people come to me and say, Dave, I just don't know what to pray for other people. Well, here are several things that Paul prays that these believers would understand. He prays that they would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know God better. So we can pray that other people would know God better. 
If they don't know God, they would have to come to know Jesus in order to know him better. So that's still a good thing to pray. He prayed that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened, that they would know the hope that they have in Christ. As believers in Jesus Christ, we need to be hopeful and we need to know why we have hope. Another great thing to pray for other people. Paul prayed that they would know the riches of the inheritance that they have in Christ. He prayed that they would know God's power, this power that is available to us. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. And he also prayed that they would know the supremacy of Christ, that Christ sits at the right hand of God, that he is above every name, not only now, but every name that will ever come. And he has all power and authority. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, Paul also gives us some additional things that we can pray for people. But back to this power. The power of God has a purpose. It has a purpose for our lives. Paul uses four words in the Greek language to describe this power. The closest we can come to those are power, working, which is the word we get energy from, strength, and might, which means force. It's the only place in scripture where four different adjectives are used to try and describe God. And Paul only does this once. It's not an easy thing to do to describe the power of an infinite God in finite words. One of these words is the word dynamis, and we get the word dynamite and dynamo from it. Now, people who know me well aren't surprised that I managed to work dynamite into a sermon. I think dynamite is a great tool. Probably not the tool to use if I need to move a refrigerator. I mean, it would move it to my neighbor's yard, five doors down, on the other side of the block. I actually got to use dynamite one time and it was really exciting for me, so I have to share about it. I was working at a property, I was in the maintenance shop and looking for something specific and there was this box up in this loft that was precariously perched on the railing, just about to fall to the cement floor about 10 feet below. And as I was putting stuff back, I just happened to notice that in this box were six sticks of dynamite. Not a big deal, except that they were weeping. The dynamite was decaying. The nitroglycerin was coming out of it. Had it hit the floor, there would just be a crater there instead of a shop. So I convinced the director that we should dispose of it. Well, come to find out, they used sticks of dynamite to dig post holes because the ground was this, this sandy rock that was impossible to dig in. And so we went out there and they would chisel a hole in the ground and put the igniter in and we'd stand there with our fingers in our ears and then we'd feel the shock when it went off and we would laugh and we'd start talking and all of a sudden rocks would start raining down because it took them a while. It had launched them so far up. And the result was this three foot wide crater of sand that had the texture of flour. It just pulverized it. You could say we had a blast that day. Dynamite is, is a type of power that is a short, rapid burst of intense power. A dynamo, on the other hand, is something that creates electrical energy. 
Uh, old cars used to have generators in them instead of alternators. Uh, our power plants today, hydroelectric plants, coal-fired power plants, wind turbines, all have a form of a dynamo in it. Paul said that God exerted this power when he raised Jesus from the dead. And I imagine that God used both an intense, rapid, short burst of power, as well as a more sustained, large, continuous flow of power when he raised Christ from the dead. Okay, that's interesting. But as I thought about this passage, the thought came to me. Power to do what? See, God demonstrates his power in various ways. His word has power. Prayer has power, not because of prayer, but because of who the object is. If I pray to God, there's power. If I pray to a tree, not so much. Faith in God has power. Faith in faith doesn't really have power. And again, God raised Christ from the dead with power. Paul prayed that the Ephesian believers would know this power. I'd been reading this passage for several days over a period of a week, thinking someday I would use that as a sermon. And I finally realized God was saying, not someday, January the 10th. And so, again, the, the question that I, I thought about was the power to do what? And so I came up with five ideas. I know a good sermon has three points. The other two aren't going to cost extra. But I would encourage you to think about these. If one of them stands out, or maybe worse, if one of them bothers you, I would encourage you to think about that this next week. The first one that I thought about was the power of the Holy Spirit can help us to love the unlovable. I love the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a long passage, so I'm going to summarize it, maybe in words that Jesus might use today if he were telling this story. So there was a man walking down a road, and in Jesus' time, roads could be just wide enough for one person, but generally not wider than 10 feet. And this man's walking down the road, and he gets mugged. They beat him badly take his credit cards, his cash, and they leave him there bleeding to die. And Jesus then says that three people came along one at a time. The first one was a religious person, a pastor, if you will. And he sees this, this body laying on the side of the road, and he gets as close to the other side of the road as he can, and he pretends that he doesn't see it until he's passed. The second person that comes by was someone who worked in the temple, an associate pastor, a worship pastor, or a youth pastor. And they did the same thing. They're walking along and they pretend not to see this person in need. And then this third person comes along, a Samaritan. Now, the Jewish people despised, hated the Samaritans. Long before Jesus' time, the Babylonians had come in, conquered Israel, and took most of the people to Babylon. But they left some people behind so that other countries wouldn't come in and take over Israel. The Israelites had been told, do not intermarry with the countries around you. 
Who knows why they did it? Maybe there weren't enough Israelites left to marry off their sons and their daughters. Maybe they just gave in to the temptation. But we know that they intermarried with these foreign nations because in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, it actually lists the names of some people who did that. Oh, wouldn't that be great? To sin and 2,500 years later, people are still reading about it. So this, this Samaritan person, this person who is despised by the Jews. Well, it would be like if we lived in biblical times today. No cars. The horses have been taken by the Roman army. And most of us can't afford a donkey. So when we go anywhere, we walk. And if we had business in right, it would take us two days to get there. But there's a problem. See, down past Sleepy Hollow and Antelope Valley is this, this village of people that we don't like. My high school teacher referred to people like that as stinkers, to which we kind of went, what? He said stinkers, you know, people who are troublemakers, jerks. And so as we start walking towards right, because we have business in right, we go from Walmart, we get down to Southern Drive, and we think, oh, we don't want to go through the village of the stinkers. So we come across Southern Drive, walk down Highway 50, take 387, and come in the west side to write. But instead of taking two days, it takes three. I like to walk, but not enough to go a whole day out of my way. We really don't like those people. <clears throat> and so one of those people comes along and he sees this person in need and he knows that this person would hate him if he were conscious. But the Samaritan is a first responder, so he practices, administers first aid, loads him on his donkey, takes him to a hotel because they haven't invented hospitals yet, gives the hotel owner all his cash, his business card and his credit card. He says, if this costs more, run my card, get back in touch with me. I want to take care of this man. Give him food, give him clothes, give him medical attention. The story was in response to a question posed to Jesus. A religious person asked Jesus, Jesus, in your estimation, what is the most important commandment? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. But then he adds another statement. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself, knowing that this person would have another question. And so this religious person says to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, we don't know what his motive was. Maybe he had bad motives. Maybe he just wanted clarification because in the Jewish law, they had a lot of very specific rules. For instance, you couldn't work on the Sabbath. And so the rabbis, the pastors, they all got together and they figured out if you walked more than half a mile, you were no longer walking, you were working. And so perhaps this man wanted to know, Jesus, does the law say that there's a geographical boundary for who my neighbor is? Perhaps it's the people in my cul-de-sac or my subdivision or my village. And Jesus tells this story. And when he's finished, he asked the man, which one acted like a neighbor? 
And the man said, well, the, the one who showed mercy, the one who helped this, this person who was possibly dying. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. The thing that I get out of that is we are to show love to the people who despise us, to the people who hate us. We are to show love to the people that we despise, that we hate, those people that we will avoid at all costs. The power of the Holy Spirit is available to help us to love those people. Who are those people today? Well, if you're a Democrat, it's obviously the Republicans. If you're a Republican, it's obviously you're to love the Democrats. If you're an independent, take your pick. <laughs> but those people that we just can't get along with, those people that we don't agree with, those people that annoy us, we are to show love to them in ways that they can touch and feel and hear and see and taste and smell. It's not just warm, fuzzy thoughts. It's going and doing something for them that they can't do for themselves. Who are those people in Gillette? There's a phrase that I've heard that I really despise. It goes like this, those people. It's usually referring to people in, in the conversations I've had, people living at the halfway house up here operated by Volunteers of America or people with addictions, or people who have had a felony record. You and I, we are those people. We are just as broken as they are, and our sin, apart from Christ, keeps us out of heaven the same as theirs. We are to love our enemies, Jesus said. We're to love those we despise. We're to love those that we find difficult to love. The power of the Holy Spirit can help us to do that. Well, the second thing that I thought about was to forgive the unforgivable. Matthew 18, 21 and 22, Peter approached Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus said, but 70 times seven. <clears throat> we like to beat up on Peter. He's not here to defend himself. Peter is being generous. He's trying to show grace. The law said he had to forgive someone up to three times. So Peter takes that number and he doubles it and he adds one for good measure. And then the Savior multiplies it by 11. But it's, it's not the number. It's Jesus is saying we have to forgive so many times. We forget how many times we have forgiven. I know I've told this story, but it still amazes me. There was a person in our small group in Sheridan who got mad at her sister. And I asked her, so what are you going to do about it? She said, well, the last time this happened, I didn't speak to my sister for two years. I started laughing. I'm, Surely you're exaggerating. She said, no, it was almost two years to the day. Sheridan's half the size of Gillette. I lived there. I've been gone 15 years, and when I go to Walmart or Home Depot, I still run into people that I know. There is no way in two years she didn't run into her sister. I love that quote that Pastor Chris used two weeks ago. 
Unforgiveness is the poison we drink, hoping the other person will fall over dead. But it doesn't hurt them. Unforgiveness never hurts the other person. It hurts us. It creates bitterness and hard-heartedness in our hearts. It's also unloving, which goes back to point number one. The power of the Holy Spirit will give us the ability to forgive the unforgivable. Another thing that I thought of was the power of the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to change the unchangeable. Maybe I've said, well, I know I need to share with this person, but I just can't do it. Oh, but the power of the Holy Spirit says you can do it. Maybe God is laying it on your heart that you need to serve here at Journey Church. Maybe you need to be a life group leader. If so, talk to Vanessa after the service. We need more people to reach this city that we live in with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe we have this, this sin that we say, well, I just can't stop gossiping or I just can't stop putting myself down or I just can't stop being judgmental. But the power of the Holy Spirit is there to help us to overcome these things. Or maybe we have an addiction that we need to overcome. Another thing that I thought of was the ability to endure the unendurable. In James 1, 2, it says, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. To be honest, this is my least favorite verse in Scripture. I don't always consider it a great joy when things are going rough. This last week for me was crazy. It always happens the week before I preach. I think I'm going to have all this time to work on my sermon and just everything just piles up. And I need to smile, not like my friends used to who would grit their teeth and say, oh, joy, but really from the heart. We're in a pandemic. And someone wrote that this pandemic has brought out both the absolute best in Christians and the absolute worst in Christians. They were talking about our responses to some of the things that have happened. Two weeks ago, I read about churches in Africa, large churches, our size. They were told, you have to wear a mask. You have to stay six feet apart and no more than 25 people in your sanctuary. The church leaders went, okay. But instead of opening one day a week, they're open seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And you can find people worshiping at 3 a.m. after walking miles to get to the church. And if there's 25 people in the sanctuary, they wait until someone leaves so that they can pray and sing with other believers. That story makes me want to ask questions that I don't want to ask. Why is it so different from them to us? We are to endure difficulties with joy. The world is watching us to see, do we respond any differently than they do? Because if we don't, they don't need our Jesus. He doesn't change anything. Well, the fifth one, okay, this doesn't 
have the same flow as the others. Don't fear the fearable. Yes, I checked Google, fearable is a word. If you don't like it, you'll remember this point better than the other ones. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Fear and faith cannot operate together. You either have one or the other. The power of the Holy Spirit can help us to live by faith. There's a lot of things our culture fears today. The political situation in America causes fear. The economic situation, what's going to happen in the future, that causes fear. I've seen fear in another way. I've read articles where people will say, if you don't believe what I believe, and if you don't vote the way I vote, then you're not a Christian. That's fear. It used to be in our country, we could sit down and talk about things and disagree and still be friends. But fear has changed that. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to not live in fear. I read this quote recently. The church isn't meant to be comfortable. It is meant to be personally transformational. Paul David Tripp said that in the book Lead. Comfort is an idol. It is not comfortable to be transformed. Transformation requires change. Change often requires pain. When I get into a rut, I don't like to have to get out of that. But if I don't, there's no change. We've got to stop focusing on comfort and focusing on how can we help each other to have that transformational power in our lives. Because when our church, when the church starts looking different to the world, it's going to be something the world wants to know more about. So how do we appropriate the power of the Holy Spirit? I've talked about the power. I've talked about what it's available to do. I think there's three things that we have to, to do. One is we need to be in God's word daily. If I don't know what God's word says, the Holy Spirit, I'm not going to say he can't, but it's much, much more difficult for him to bring those things to my mind to use. I also believe we need to be spending time in listening prayer. It's not wrong to tell God what we need, but prayer is more than just, I want, I want, I want, gimme, gimme, gimme. But it's listening. I like to combine these two. I like to pray as I'm reading God's word. Okay, Lord, what do you want me to take away from this? How do I put this into practice? How does this change my life so that I can better represent you here in Gillette? The third thing is surrendering control of your life. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not be drunk on wine, but be filled with your Holy Spirit, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul's contrasting two things. He's saying we're going to be influenced by something outside of us. Don't let it be alcohol, work, our culture, but let it be the Holy Spirit. I think that looks a lot like this. If this is the throne of Dave's life, when I sit on this throne, 
I direct all the activities, all my energies. I decide what it is that I'm going to do. The problem is I'm not God. I don't know what the future holds. Most days I don't even know what I need. And it's not uncommon for me to put the ditch, put the bus in the ditch, so to speak. But when I allow the Holy Spirit to sit on the throne of my life, to direct the activities, my energies, and to guide me, lead me, direct me, things go much better. I believe when we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells in us. But the filling of the Holy Spirit, I believe, is not even a day-by-day thing, but it's a moment-by-moment thing. A moment-by-moment decision, who is going to control my life? So when I come to that person who is unlovable, do I say, oh, I'm going to avoid them? Or do I pray and say, Lord, I need your Holy Spirit to help me love them. Please guide me, direct me, empower me, fill me to be able to do that. Lord, I don't want to forgive this person. They really hurt me. But I need your Holy Spirit to give me the power to do that. He's going to bring verses to mind. He's going to put wise people in my life to help me do the right thing. I believe we can no longer say, I can't do what God wants me to do. To be truthful, I must say, I choose not to do what God wants me to do. If I say, I can't overcome this sin, or I I just can't love that person, that's not a truthful statement. Not if God's word is true, and I believe it is. We need to be willing to allow God to put his finger on those areas of our life that we don't like him meddling with because it's uncomfortable. But the goal of transformation is that we become more and more like Jesus. Jesus said that everyone would know who his followers are not by their political stand, not by their doctrinal stand, but by their love for other people. Here's those five things that I encourage you to think about. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to love the unlovable, to forgive the unforgivable, to change what we can't change, to endure hard things, and to not live in fear. But we need each other to encourage each other in that as well. God desires that we live in community with one another. I can't do this by myself. I'm not the Lone Ranger. I need my brothers and sisters in Christ. I need to be willing to let them speak into my life when they see me doing something that is contrary to what I say I want to do. But it works both ways. I need to be able to do that in your lives as well. God gives us power. Paul prayed we would know that power, and it is power with a purpose. And that purpose is to transform us into the image of Christ and to glorify God. I long to see more and more people in Gillette come to know Christ. And I pray that God would give us our share of the unbelievers here in Gillette. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you 
for the words that you gave the Apostle Paul. Father, we need to know the same things that they knew. We need to know how great you are. And we need to know how to use the power that you have given us in our lives. That same power that you raised Jesus from the dead is available to us to do these things that we have mentioned this morning. And it's not, Lord, so that people point at Journey Church and say, oh, aren't they so great? Lord, you deserve all the glory, all the credit, all the praise. Father, would you help us to be in your word? Would you help us to hear your voice? Would you help us, Lord, as we desire to be transformed more and more every day into the image of Jesus? And we do pray this for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening to that message from Journey Church. Be sure to stop by our website, journeychurchgillette.com and check out past sermons and learn how to get plugged in with us. Also, if you would like to give to Journey to help us continue doing ministry in ways like this, just hit the give button on our website to support us on this mission. Hey, I hope that you have a great day and may God bless you.